everyone, it's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast, where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to week 13. This week, we're going to be finishing up the book of Judges. We're going to read the entire book of Ruth, and we'll get halfway through the book of First Samuel. So we'll read about Samuel, and then we'll begin to see the setup for the kings that will be anointed. Last week, we began the kind of the ending section of the book of Judges, and that was chapter 17 and 18. And really chapters 17 through 21 are a literary unit. They kind of all hang together. Chapter 17 and to 21 are a literary unit. They kind of all hang together and explores the big picture concept of the extent of Israel's depravity everyone doing what's right in their own eyes during this era in Israel's history. So last week we looked at chapters 17 and 18, which focused on the idolatry among the Danites and that whole weird and complicated story. This week in chapters 19 through 21, we're going to read about a civil war in Israel's history, a civil war of Israel against Benjamin. And Benjamin is a tiny tribe in the south against Israel in the north. And then the whole book of Judges kind of summarizes with the key verse in chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now we're going to move on to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth happens actually at the same time as the book of Judges. So historically, it's happening contemporaneous with Judges. But you have this little story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And one of the main reasons for that is because it revisits this book big theme that we've been talking about this year of how do all the stories in the Bible tell the overall story of the Bible. Now, some of you may have thought maybe I had forgotten that, that I had been off track because I haven't talked about it in a few weeks as we've been going through the whole thing with Exodus and through Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges. But now the in God and his providence and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, picks up that storyline from Genesis. Remember back to Genesis where we were talking about how the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent were in constant conflict and God was preserving those that seed to trace the family tree that will eventually result in Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Well, the book of Ruth is this wonderful little story that helps fill in this part of Jesus's family tree. And not just Jesus's family tree, but David's family tree. Because if you remember, David is an ancestor of Jesus. The book of Ruth also connects Jesus and David with our story back in Genesis of Perez and Judah. The whole thing is just beautiful how it pulls it all together. God in his providence is just amazing in putting this book of Ruth together. Now we don't know the author. We don't know who wrote it. 
We have a couple of little clues in the text that it was written at least after the time of David, because David's name is specifically mentioned in it. It also explains the custom of of the shoe in chapter 4, which wouldn't have been necessary if the book was written at the same time as Ruth. So what we have in Ruth is a story that's written a couple hundred years or more after Ruth lived, but it's serving a very important literary purpose. So we have this Jewish family, Naomi and her husband, that there's a famine in the land and they move across the Jordan to the land of Moab. And we talked about the origin of Moab back in the book of Genesis. So the Moabites are somewhat distant relatives of the Jews. While the family's in Moab, Naomi's two sons marry Moabite women. Unfortunately, both sons pass away. Naomi's husband passes away, and what's left is Naomi, the mother-in-law, and these two daughters-in-law. Naomi wants to return to her homeland, and Ruth decides to go with her, to leave her homeland of Moab, go with her mother-in-law. And what a sacrifice that would have been for Ruth, but a wonderful gift to Naomi, because in those times, being a widow meant that you had no means of supporting yourself. But when they go back to Israel, they go to Boaz's fields to glean. And this is what the poor people would have done. There would have been some some harvest left at the edge of the fields for the poor to come and work. And I love the picture here because this is the beauty of when God's laws are followed. The poor are taken care of. They're not just given something, but they're given an opportunity to work, to harvest something that they can then take home and use for themselves. So we have this wonderful story here. It's not just a love story. It's a story of a widow who otherwise would have been very desperate to take care of herself. But Boaz, a godly man, obeys God's law and provides a way for Ruth and Naomi to be able to take care of themselves. So eventually the two of them get together, they get married. There's a whole story of the kinsman redeemer, which is again, part of God's law as a way to take care of widows. And then we have their marriage. And then the really the most important part of the book in a way is the genealogy at the end. Now we haven't had any genealogies in a while. And you know about how excited I get about those genealogies because they're really the glue that's holding the whole scriptures together. So when you get to that genealogy, look for some names that you're going to recognize and maybe flip ahead to Matthew chapter one and see how it all fits together. Finally, this week, we're going to start the book of First Samuel, and we're going to get about halfway through the book this week. So we're going to start with the story of Samuel's mother and Hannah, and then the story of uh, her bringing Samuel to the temple and then leaving them under the direction of Eli and his household. But meanwhile, there's going to be a lot of conflict and struggle. There's going to be Eli struggling with his unrighteous sons. There's Israel's struggle with the Philistines in, in chapters 4 through 7. Um, they do make some unfortunate uh, decisions of what to do with the ark, taking it into battle. It's probably not a good idea. And then the people in chapter 8 is kind of the turning point because the people will demand a king. 
They want to have a king to rule over them like the other nations. They don't want to keep having these judges or these priests ruling over them, local leaders. They want to have a unified monarchy. And then Saul is anointed their king. After Saul becomes their king, for a while he seems like he's obeying God, but before long he fails to wait on the Lord in chapter 13 and performs a sacrifice. Now what's so big about that? Why does God get so upset about Saul performing a sacrifice? Well, if you remember back to our discussion in the Mosaic Law, the only person who's qualified to give a sacrifice is a priest. And you can't just wake up in the morning and crown yourself priest. You have to be descended. You have to be related to certain people, Levites or Aaron. The Aaronic priesthood was the only one qualified to do sacrifices. So when Saul fails to wait on the Lord, it's not just an issue of him not trusting the Lord. It's an issue that he makes this sacrifice, even though he's not qualified to do that. Now, what's interesting about Jesus is that he is a king who is also a priest. The threefold office of Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And we see here in Jesus the kind of the coming together of the three offices of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is a king who's qualified to offer a sacrifice. And he's also a prophet. That's really what the whole book of Hebrews is about, is setting, is laying out the qualifications of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. But Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is not a priest. He is only a king. So he's not qualified to give this sacrifice. So then when we get to chapter 16, now chapter 16 through 31 form a literary unit where they kind of talk about the rise of David and the decline of Saul. So we're just getting started on that literary unit. We're going to stop in chapter 17 this week. So we'll begin to see David's rise to prominence in chapters 16 and 17 and continuing next week with chapter 18. And then um, we'll pick up the story right there next week. You will end the week on a high note, though, because you're going to read the famous story of David and Goliath. And I would like to make a few suggestions of how to think about this story. Often, the way that the story of David and Goliath is preached is with an eye toward a, a contemporary American application, which goes something like this. Uh, David was a small boy. He had a small slingshot. He conquered and defeated Goliath. And you can, God will help you uh, conquer the giants in your life. But remember, we want to be sensitive to the author's intent here. And the question is, is what is the author really trying to tell us in 1 Samuel chapter 17? Well, one of the keys to that is to look for repeated phrases. And if you notice what David said, what is his motivation? His motivation is that the Philistine Goliath has come out against the people of God. God's covenant people are under the threat of Goliath and the Philistines. 
they've been cast in the role of the seed of the serpent. So here you have in the story of David and Goliath, a, a microcosm of the whole cosmic struggle of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. The, the Philistines are an affront to God's covenant people. And David is saying, no, we're not going to stand for that. That we serve the God who who defeated Pharaoh, who brought us out of Egypt, who brought us in the promised land. And we're not going to be put down by these insults from these uncircumcised, covenant-breaking Philistines. That's really the big picture of what this story is about. It's about a continuation of the narrative of another one of God's great acts in history to his people, Israel, to preserve them, to save them, that they go up, they're going to go up against these quote unquote giants over and over again. We're going to see this throughout the book of Kings. And we've already seen some of those in stories that we've already read. And it's always this this great battle of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. So keep that in mind. See what you think about that when you read through the story of David and Goliath. Well, that's all for this week. Should be some easier sledding this week as you get through uh, this week's text. Uh, not so complicated. Pretty much some straightforward historical information. The books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings are going to be a great run. You're not going to want to miss out on a week even a day of the reading because this is really the nuts and bolts of Israel's history. And I'll try to bring in a little archaeology as I'm able uh, as we move forward. So hopefully you have your King Me uh, study companion by now. We're a couple weeks into it. And uh, Pastor John is leading us through some powerful messages. If you miss one of the sermons, make sure that you take some time to download those recordings and you can listen to them on your way to work or whatever. Last week, Pastor John gave an incredible message from the book of Joshua. If you missed it, make sure to get that recording because it, it was one that I wanted to listen to again to just get a second pass at it, to glean everything from that message that Pastor John was bringing. That was a good word. So I hope you're continuing to enjoy your study as we go through the Bible this year. What a privilege it is that we live in a country where we're able to do this kind of study together as God's people, as the body of Christ, and grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word and asking the Holy Spirit to empower us in our understanding. That's all for now. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>